Good morning, church. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word? Today's scripture is from Psalm 46. The words will be on the screen behind me. <clears throat> God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Scott, for reading the word. Love uh, our time reading the word together. It's what we're about, it's who we are. Here at Life Point, let me go back to that video uh, for just a moment because uh, I want to say something about Rooted. It, it doesn't matter where you are. Ken said it. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey. Some of you are brand new in your faith. Some of you uh, are long time in the faith, but you're not connected in community. Wherever you are, I want to encourage you to get involved in Rooted if you're not connected or already in a small group. It's, it's bearing fruit that uh, unlike we've seen in a long time in a, in a class here so uh, please get involved in it. It's the basics uh, of uh, disciplines and all those kind of things that help you grow in your faith. So would love for you to get involved in, in, in Rooted. Now, uh, man, today we're finishing this series called Find Life and Live Sent. In two weeks, man, two weeks is a, just an incredible, uh, an incredible uh, day. Uh, two weeks from today is an incredible day. I mean, first off, it's, it's the opening Sunday of the NFL, and that's sort of like a holiday for me. And so, you know, you'll get out early that day. So, uh, uh, but uh, the most important thing about that day is it, we are starting a new series on uh, two weeks from today, and it's going through the book of Daniel, and we're calling it Bold in Babylon. Uh, that's what Daniel's about. It's so relevant to where we live today uh, that you need to be here. It's a commentary on the book of Revelation, all that kind of stuff. You remember when we went through Revelation, we went back and hit a lot of Daniel. And so, uh, man, I, I hope you're here. Bring somebody with you. It'll be a great study, and it'll be re very relevant to your life and very helpful, and so I hope you're here. Now, the American Revolution is one of the greatest revolutions in the history of the world. I mean, if you have been to school, then your teacher, your history teacher taught you about the American Revolution. If they didn't, then they need to be fired, right? This, this is one of the greatest revolutions in the history of the world. I mean, it began when the 13 colonists, they became, became tired of being oppressed and taxed by a British parliament in which they had no representation. And so they revolted. And in September of of 1781, they won our independence uh, from the British as the British surrendered in Yorktown, Virginia. Uh, just an incredible, incredible revolution. And it, it all began with a shot heard around the world. Maybe you remember that, the shot heard around the world. Well, you know, a lot's changed since 1781. A lot of good changes, 
a lot of bad changes. Think about all the good changes. You know, the revolutionaries, man, they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have refrigeration. I mean, think about the last few days and how those changes are good, right? I mean, I'm glad I can control my thermostat on my phone. I mean, man, it, it is uh, some good changes. I can watch every football game every week, some really, really good changes. And so there's been some good changes, but there's also been some bad changes. I mean, our world has changed in some ways that make our life easier, but the, our world has also changed in ways that makes our life a whole lot more stressful, especially for Christians, right? I could name those ways. I could name all the, the things that's going on in our world that reveals the cracks in our foundation, but I don't have to name them. You feel them. You wear them, right? You see them every day, and it causes stress for those of us who believe. And so what we need is another revolution. Now, I'm not talking about a political revolution. I'm talking about a spiritual revolution, a revolution of the heart, because you see the, the things that are stressing us, the things that we look out that, that we wear and that we see that cause stress in our life, that makes us think about, think about the fact that the landscape of our life is changing forever and it's never going to look the same again. Uh, those things are not the real problem. The things that we focus on are not the real problem. I mean, when we come and we look at the fact that racism, racism is a real problem in our world and it will be a problem until Jesus returns, right? It, it has been a problem and it will be a problem. Uh, it, uh, adultery, you know, sexual sin, a problem, and it will be a problem, right? Uh, divorce, all this LGBTQ agenda uh, has been a problem. It, it will be a problem. Gender confusion, all these things are problems. They have been problems, and they will be problems because they are not the real problem. They're, they're not the disease. They're symptoms, and all we're doing is focusing on the symptoms if we look at those things. The disease is sin. They all come out of sin. They flow out of sin, and, and so, therefore, the problem is sin. The answer is Jesus, and the only, that's why we need a heart revolution. And the only thing that will change the heart is the gospel. So, Christians, church, we have the answer. We have the solution to what's ailing the world. Churches all over, Christians all over the world, we're the ones who have the solution to what's ailing the world. And so we need to take advantage of that, not take it for granted. We need to understand that responsibility that we've been given. Uh, and we need a heart revolution. And the only thing that can change the heart is the gospel. So the shot that needs to be heard around the world right now doesn't come from a musket, it comes from the mouth. It's not a, the bullet's not lead, the bullet's the gospel. And so today I wanna challenge you to shoot that gospel bullet. I wanna challenge you as we look at going. You know, we're, as we're putting a bow on this series, as I said at the opening of the message, and we've already talked about gathering. Uh, we've talked about growing. We've talked about giving. And today, we're gonna end it by talk about, talking about going, right? Gather, grow, give, go. Gather, grow, give, go. Say that with me twice, would you? Gather, grow, give, go. One more time. Gather, grow, give, go. I, I'm, I'm asking you to say that every week. I have because I want you to get that in your mind because we believe that these four things and all that they entail, gathering, gathering with God's people, gathering on, when, when God's people gather. For us, that's on a Sunday morning. You know, it could be a Saturday night, but it's gathering for the, the, the gathering of the church. It's commitment to the church. It's vital. It's growing in your faith. That's why things like rooted is important so that you can grow and you can learn and being in a small group, uh, coming to the, growing, giving, giving not just your money, giving your time, giving your, 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 your talents and your gifts and, and your resources, giving, serving, right? And, and then today, it's going, going. And, and so as we talk about going, I, I wanna go back and I wanna read the Great Commission and, you know, uh, the Great Commission, what we know is the Great Commission. 
is uh, traditionally Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I want to read 19 through 20, and then uh, I'm going to read one from pretty much every gospel writer and Paul, because this is not the only uh, great commission in the Bible, okay? So let me read 19 through 20 of Matthew 28. Go, that's what we get, right? Go, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, that word nations means people groups. It doesn't mean uh, uh, poly, geopoly boundaries. It's not America, United States of America, China, Brazil. It's not those political uh, geographic boundaries. It, it, it is people groups. So it's not even Americans uh, versus Chinese versus, or, you know, or Americans, Chinese, all these. It, it, it's people groups. It, it, it comes down to athletes, right? It comes down to skateboarders. It comes down to businessmen. It, uh, these are people groups where the gospel needs to infiltrate uh, that people group in their common language and their culture. So we are to go into all nations, to all people groups, baptizing them. You've seen you, you, you watched people baptize. You celebrated this morning. In the first service, we baptized. In the second service, we baptized. And it's, it's an amazing thing what God's doing, and we're, we're happy about that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe. That's what Rooted's about. That's what these classes are about. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of, this, uh, of the age. Now, this is after Jesus come back from the dead. He After his resurrection, he spent 40 days with his disciples, pouring into them, teaching them. Then he goes back to heaven. Just before he goes back to heaven, where he is today until he returns, just before he went back, he gave this commission. He said, go and make disciples, right? Go. I'm leaving this to you. 120 disciples. Jesus began the movement of Christianity with 120 disciples, and he left it to them, and he went back to heaven. Thank Jesus, that they were faithful in obeying his command. Thank the Lord that they uh, endured persecution and they stayed uh, the course because today we're here because they stayed the course. Who will be here, you know, in, in five years? Who will be here in, in, in 2,000 years because we stay the course? Now, uh, Jesus, when he re- said that, he didn't just say it to those 120, though. He did speak it to those people, but what he said it to all who would follow. This made it into scripture, right? This is God's revelation to the people of God. So he said that to, yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He said it to every Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Sarah, Joan that's in our church that believes in him today. This is for all believers. Go, he commissioned you, and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, Luke says it like this. Luke in, God, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Acts is the sequel to the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote them both. Here's what Acts 1.8 says. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will, what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Man, to name it and claim it. I mean, to lay people out in the Spirit, to heal people, to give people gold teeth. It's awesome, right? This power you'll receive. No, he didn't say any of that. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to what? To be my witnesses. To be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. John says it this way, John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You see why we're the sending church. We challenge you to live sin. Mark says it this way, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And then Paul 
Paul says it like this in, in, in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, and this verse is so important to us, man. It's sort of like the milk in our Cheerios here at my point, right? I mean, it just pulls it all together. And here's what it says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? See, while we're the sending church, we challenge you to live sent. And, and so as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, here's what Paul says. Paul, he says, his mission in life, his goal is for people to know Jesus, his pe- for people to be saved. But how are they going to, to know God if they never hear about God? How are they gonna know Jesus if they never hear about Jesus? How are they gonna hear about Jesus if someone doesn't preach? Now, that word preach, I want you to understand this, that word preach uh, doesn't mean, it doesn't, it's not limited to what I'm doing on stage. It's not talking in context of a preacher on a stage. It's the word herald, and it means to proclaim, right? It means to herald or proclaim to share the gospel. So this is not to preachers. This is to everybody. And so Paul says, how will they share, herald, proclaim the gospel if they are not sent? See, that's why we're the sending church. Now, in all these, do you see some similarities? He talks about we see the whole, uh, the whole earth, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to all creation. We see you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. All, all these things that, that, that you see in these commissions, it, it, they are a commission, a command, a mission for all of God's people. They're not just for those first disciples. They're for all of God's people, right? That if you are saved, uh, God saved you to send you. This is why we're a sending church. And we send people all over the world. We, we send missionaries to Brussels and Bangkok and Belgium and other parts of Europe that, that I can't say online because of where they are. And, and, and so we send missionaries, and that's great, but these are called vocational missionaries. We don't limit the term missionary just to people who, you know, uh, feel God calls them and they sell their house and quit their job and buy a Rosetta Stone and learn a new language and go live in another country. Those are missionaries. They're vocational missionaries, but it's not limited to that. If you are a member, you are a missionary. If you are saved, God saved you to send you. If you are redeemed, he redeemed you to represent him. That's what the whole Bible's about. It's on every page of the Bible. I read to you Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul. I read to you statements from all those that reveal that this is on every page of the Bible. And, and so today, I, I, I want to challenge you to, to, to live sent, to go by looking at a, a verse that is one of the most famous verses, I, I guess, or at least half of it, in the Bible. I think if you ask me to boil down the Bible to one verse or to use one verse to summarize the Bible, which is kind of impossible because it's so rich, right? But if you said, can you sum up the Bible in one verse, I would probably go to Psalm 46.10. What an amazing verse, Psalm 4610. Uh, as a matter of fact, let, let, let's, let's read it. Let me read it. Psalm 4610, uh, it, it pop up on the screen. It says, be still and know that I am God. Now, you've heard that even if you didn't I've heard that before, right? It resonates with you. Be still and know that I'm God. Then it says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. Now, uh, there are two parts to that verse, not just one. We know one part, be still and know. Be still and know. But there's a Second part, there's part A and part B. And here's what happens. Part A informs part B, and part B gives the implications of part A. 
all right? And so what, what I want to do today is, is I want to talk about this verse in its context of Psalm 46, and doing that help build a foundation in your life that will motivate you to live sent, to go. Now, I could stand up today and say, we're talking about going, and I could tell you missionary stories, stories of Adoniram Judson and and, and just stories of, of Carrie, stories of great missionaries that would motivate you. Man, I gotta go tell somebody about Jesus. And you could, like a football team, run through the sign at the back. And when you run through the sign and go out, man, you're fired up. And then just like that football player, until you get hit in the mouth that first time, it's like, whoa, ho, 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 this is real. You know, you could run out and then somebody says, nah, I don't want that. Like, oh, this is real. So I don't wanna just motivate you to go out and invest. I wanna lay a foundation in your life. A foundation that you can build on, right? A foundation that you can, can build and a foundation that you can literally help you live sin. So I want to look at this verse, Psalm 4610, in the context of the psalm that we read at the opening uh, and help you to understand uh, you were created to go, to motivate you to go. So there are two parts to this, to this verse, and I want to look at part A and part B, and part A is simply this. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still and know. Let's begin laying that foundation. Be still and know. Now, let me give you the context for this psalm. When this psalm was written, Jerusalem was surrounded by its enemies, and they were gnarly. I mean, man, uh, Jerusalem was surrounded, and they were, uh, they were scared out of their wits because their whole future of Israel seemed to be in jeopardy. They didn't know if they were going to exist, right? And they were scared. And, and, and so this psalm starts out, right? I mean, I mean, this psalm starts out, begins by declaring that God is our refuge and strength. Those are great things to know when you're scared. When you're scared, you got to, God is my refuge and my strength. God is my refuge and my strength. So the psalm starts out, God is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And he says, I, I will not be afraid. No matter what happens, not even if, if, if the mountains fall into the oceans. Now, if the mountains fall into the oceans, that means the entire landscape's changing, right? He says, I will not be afraid because God's my refuge. And so what God did in this psalm's context was he comes in, and we, we read about it. He completely destroyed their enemies for them. Man, he burned their chariots, as, as the psalmist says. He broke their bows and he broke their spears. He gave them decisive victory. And then he gave the sons of Korah this psalm to write so that Israel would always remember what happened. And, 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 and he said, after this victory, be still and know. This is the most important thing. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. This is also what God told Israel when they came out of Egypt. You remember they were slaves and man, they were, they were enslaved for over 400 years. And man, God brought them out miraculously through the plagues, uh, ending with the Passover. And, and he brought them out and they are free from Egypt, but they get to the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea, they look back and Egypt changed their mind and they are the world power at the time. And their army is pressing down on them. Just like the people in Jerusalem at the time the psalm was written, uh, this is in Exodus, and they're, they're not warriors, man. They don't have tanks, and they don't have body armor, and they don't have infrared. They don't have comms. They don't have ARs. They, they, they have no way of fighting back. They are slaves with pitchforks probably, right? I mean, they have nothing. Now you've got the world superpower pu pushing down on them. They're dead. They're gone. 
They know it. They're trapped by the Red Sea and, and the, the, the world superpower. What are we going to do? And what did God tell them? Stop and be still, for the Lord will fight for you. That's what he said then. That's what he said in the psalm. This is so relevant for our world and today, great news for our world today, because our world has gone crazy, right? I mean, our world has gone crazy. There are so many cracks in the foundation, and it looks like it's about to collapse, and we know that the landscape of our world has literally changed, and it's continuing to change, and it's never going to look the same. We know that. And, man, it, it scares us out of our wits. I mean, we long for Mayberry, but we live in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And, and, and it scares us out of our wits, and, and, and we're surrounded by our enemies, it seems. And, and, and man, we, you know, and our future seems to be threatened. And our instinct is to what? To fight, to be frantic, and, and, and to fight. But the psalmist says, be still and know. Be still and know. Now, we tend to think, when we hear that word, be still, we tend to think that that means that we should sit silently before the Lord. You know, we sit silently before the Lord, and that's not a bad thing to do, right? I mean, I need to do it more. I sit before the Lord every day, but sometimes I don't sit silently before the Lord. Sometimes, most of the time, it seems like I sit and I talk to the Lord, and I do the talking, right, rather than just sitting and being silent, which is a huge, huge uh, discipline uh, that we all need to practice. And so, it's a good thing, but that's not what the psalm's talking about here. That's not what the psalmist means when he says, be still. The word is rafa in the Hebrew, and what it means is to relax. It means to cease your activity, your frantic activity. That's what it means. Just a, uh, It can be used of like relaxing, setting, you know, falling down into a, a lazy boy recliner and just relaxing, right? And, in other words, resting and, and not being frantic. It doesn't mean not doing anything. That's, that's not what it means. It didn't mean, you know, and to, the, to, the, to the people in Jerusalem, what he didn't mean was, hey, we're surrounded by enemies. I don't worry about it, man. Let's just go on and, you know, pour us a, 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 a drink, sit back, you know, uh, you know, get some tea. I mean, you know, bonbons and just do nothing. God's got this. That's not what it means. It didn't mean it to Red Sea. Oh, don't worry. There they are here. That's not what it means. And we got stuff. We need to be worried. We need to be vigilant in our life. Right? We need to be vigilant. That's not what it means. It means to not let the focus of this get you so frantic that your focus is taken off the Lord that scares you to death when that happens. Remember who's in control. That's what he's saying. Stop. Stop and, and, and remember who's in control. Right? I, I mean, stop and, 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 and stop your frantic activity of concern. It's like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. You remember when they were on the Sea of Galilee and they were in the boat? and the storm was, was, was blowing, and the waves were crashing. Jesus was asleep. The disciples were frantic. They thought, man, we're about to be fish food. I mean, man, they're, they're nervous. They're scared, right? They wake Jesus up, and Jesus, why is he asleep? What's going on? We're about to die. And, 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 and Jesus, you know, it gets up, and I mean, you know, you can't see, you know, how he looked, the look on his face, the emotion, but, you know, he goes over, and with one word, he calms the storm. You see, what this word means was not that they didn't need to row against the tide. It didn't mean that they didn't need to be doing something. What it meant was they didn't need to be frantic and scared out of their wits and allow it to take their focus off of the one who could calm the sea with one word. That's what we do. We get so wrapped up in everything that we, we take our focus off of the one who can control it, who, who, who is in control of everything. And that's what, that's what God said, stop and know God. Now, the word know means to be aware. 
So here's what he's telling Jerusalem, the Israelites in Jerusalem, when they're surrounded by their enemies, and man, it looks like their future's in doubt. He didn't say, oh, just stop, do nothing. Don't worry about anything. I'll take care of this for you. That's not what he said. He said, look, I, I know that your enemies are surrounding you, but stop being frantic. Trust me, right? Stop being frantic. Don't, don't take your eyes off me. And, 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 and so what we need to do is we need to go back to the word. So when, when it says stop and know God, yeah, it, it's, it's a saving knowledge of God, but it's also a sanctifying knowledge of God that as, you're, as you grow in your faith, that's why we want you enrooted, so that you can begin to remember and you know how to study the word and then you know what you know is this. You know there was zero chance of Israel getting out of Egypt. Slaves for over 400 years, the world's superpower, zero chance of them busting out of slavery. But God did it. They didn't do it, but God did. There was zero chance of them defeating the Egyptians at the Red Sea, zero chance but God did it. There was zero chance of them surviving in a desert with no food and no water, but God brought manna. God brought water. There was zero chance of the walls of Jericho coming down and Israel bringing those walls down because they had no uh, uh, battle instruments to bring them down. They, they didn't know what they were doing. Zero chance of the walls of that well-fortified city falling, but God did it. There was zero chance of, of a teenage boy taking down a giant that the, old, whole, the entire Israeli army was afraid to fight. Zero chance, but God did it. And you see, when you begin to stop and know and remember who God is, then you begin to remember God's sovereign. God is uh, 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 omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He's all-knowing. God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. God's just, God's gracious, God's merciful. When you begin to know those things, then you can, you can relax and realize, hold on a minute, there's no panic in heaven. There's no panic in heaven. God has this. God's in control. See, here's, here's the thing I want you to understand. The knowledge of God is the greatest knowledge you can have. I love reading, writing, arithmetic, right? I love education. I've got a lot of education. I've got too much education probably, you know, for a boy from East Tennessee anyway. Don't know what to do with most of it. I love education, but the most important knowledge that you can have is knowledge of God. All other knowledge is secondary. All other knowledge is secondary. Why? Because it's the knowledge of God that keeps you sane in a crazy world. It's the knowledge of God that literally gives you the answers, the right answers to the right questions. It's the knowledge of God that helps you understand what the real problems are in life and what the real solutions are. It's the knowledge of God that gives you real life in a crazy world. So the knowledge of God is, 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 is primary. It's not, it's not secondary, folks. It's primary. It's the most important thing you can do. It's the most important thing you can do for your kids. Because you see, sometimes we forget and sometimes we get frantic. You know, we look at our world and we look at everything that's going on in our world, the cultural shifts. I mean, the tectonic plates are just going crazy, and our world is quaking, and it looks like the mountains are about to fall into the oceans, and our entire landscape is changing, and like, I don't know what to do, and so we can get frantic, and we can start go blazing people on Facebook. Man, we can just start fighting with people across the aisle. We can put all of our, our eggs in a political basket. We can do all these things, and I'm not saying we don't do anything, because we should 
get involved in doing something to be vigilant. But the problem is we forget, we take our, we, we, when we get frantic, we take our focus off of God, and what we need to be doing is putting our focus and keeping it on God because he's the one who can do something about all of it. He's in control, and there's no panic in heaven. And we know God. That, that happens in my life and your life. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I get overwhelmed. Sometimes I get stressed. Maybe you're in grief, and you're in grief, and your grief is overwhelming you, and your grief, you know, you begin to wonder, I don't know, I don't know what this is. Why, why does the righteous seem to be? You know, the Psalms writes a lot about this. The psalmist writes a lot about this, right? I mean, why, is the, why does the righteous seem to be the ones who, who, who grieve, and why does the wicked, man, they seem to be living it up in the palace and, you know, eating sweet food and I mean, why is that? You can, you can begin to question when grief comes your way. You can begin to question when things don't work out, when you lose your job, when, when, when you lose a spouse, when you lose a child, when your marriage falls apart, you can begin to question. And you can say, God, I don't understand. Why is this my life now? What's going on? I don't understand. And then you need to stop and you need to remember, stop and know, and remember, here's what I know. I know how I feel, but I know God's good. I know God is sovereign. I know God's in control. I know God has a purpose, a sovereign purpose and plan. I know uh, all things work together for good of those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. I know these things. So sometimes when you don't feel it, you, you, you have to know or you fall apart. And your know then informs how you feel. And this is why, listen to me, all of you who are single, listen to me, all of you, that's why you never follow your heart. That's the most stupid, sappy thing you'll ever hear. I just follow in my heart. No, you lead your heart, folks. You don't follow your heart. Your emotions lie to you. Have you not learned that? <laughs> I have multiple times. So you lead your heart with what you know. You lead your heart with what you know, because if you don't lead your heart, you follow your heart, you're going to become an emotional wreck. Lead your heart with what you know. So the knowledge of God, and then here's what happens. Stop and know I'm God, and then focus on me. Keep your eyes on me. Then all these things seem to, you know, fade into the background because you're focused on me. So stop and know me because when you know me, you'll become passionate about me. And here's the thing. When, God's, when the people of God become passionate about the glory of God, then they'll share the gospel of God. That's what you need to understand. Our passion for God needs to grow. And as we know, our passion grows. And the more I know God, man, the more I want to tell people about him. That's what happens. Part A, st stop, be still, and know that I'm God. Then what's part B? Then I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted on the earth. Stop and know, and then go and make known. Go and make known, right? Part B gives the implications of part A. Part A informs part B, right? I know God, so this is what I'm going to do. Part B is the implication. There's a global implication to me knowing God. You see, me knowing God, if you're saved, here's what we tend to do. We tend to get saved in our Western cult, uh, Christianity. We tend to get saved, and then we think, man, that's where it stops. It's not the checkered flag. It's the green flag, right? I mean, it's not where it ends. It's where it begins. It's, then it's a lifelong pursuit of God. You see, we, we, we need to stop and realize that, that, that God didn't save us just for us, just for our benefit. It's not just so I can get a get-out-of-hell-free card, and I do. That's beautiful, isn't it? I love that. But it's not just so I can get a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not just so that God can be my genie in a bottle who grants me my every wish. That's not what it's about. What is it about? It's about me knowing God, and when I know God, I mean, I'm so blown away that I make God known. 
I mean, th- that's what we see here. It, 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 we, we, we make God known because I know God. And, and it, that, that's what he was talking about in Jerusalem. It says, remember the context of the psalm. Stop and know that I'm God. God had just won a decisive victory when Israel couldn't win that victory. So they knew something about God. When this happened, do you think that the, the, that the Israelites, when God won this victory, when they were surrounded by their enemies and they were afraid, no way of victory, their whole world's about to collapse, their whole world's about to change, our children probably not even gonna be alive. Do you think that when God burned their chariots, broke their spears and their bows, that the people said, oh, just another day in Jerusalem? No, man, they went out and told everybody, let me tell you what God did. You see, that is what he's talking about. Stop. Be still and know that I'm God. Then I'll be exalted because Jerusalem, Israel. What do you think the, the, the Israelites did at the Red Sea when God said, stop, the Lord will fight for you? Man, they went out. That, that's the stories, the oral stories that they told their kids. Let me tell you what God has done. You can't not tell people what God's done when you know God. That's the, that's the foundation that I'm trying to lay here rather than just giving you some stories that'll motivate you to run through the, the banner, man, and run into the brick wall. It's like, okay, this needs, to, this needs to be a part of the, the fabric of my being and my life that I know God and that I make him known. We need to know that you're saved to be sent, and if you're redeemed, you're redeemed to represent. We can look at our world and we can get depressed. We can look at our world and we can begin to go, oh my goodness, this world is falling apart. I don't know what to do. I'm gonna stick my head in the sand. I'm gonna run. I, I, we, we can do that, and that's what Luther did, by the way. You know, when the Black Plague was sweeping Germany, that's what Luther did. Luther was so depressed, he thought, man, the world's changing. People are being wiped out. Man, I don't know what to do. And he he really took his focus, and he put it on what was happening in the world, and he became depressed. Wow, if you do that, I guarantee you, man, if you want to be depressed, I don't know anybody does, just go home and watch the news channels. Man, you're going to live in depression. You're going to live in fear. You're going to live in with anxiety, right? Just go watch all the stuff that, that, that man, is, is, it's crazy. And, and that's what Luther did. He got so depressed, and one morning he was so depressed, sulking, and, and he came down to breakfast, and when he came down to breakfast, his wife was making breakfast, and she was dressed in all black, like she was going to a funeral. And Luther looked at her, and Luther said, who died? And she said, apparently God, the way you're acting. And Luther realized Luther, that's what a great wife does, isn't it, guys? Luther realized in a moment what he had done. He realized in a moment, hold on a minute. I'm thinking about this black plague, and I'm looking, thinking it's destroying our world. There's nothing I can do. I don't know what's going on. And now she redirected his focus back to God. God's not dead. God's alive, and he's on his throne, right? And so when we redirect our focus, it's like then we don't sulk. We share the gospel. We don't We don't retreat, we advance the gospel when we realize who is in control. We we stop, we be still, and we know that God is God. And then when we know he's God, when we know he's good, when we know he's merciful, when we know he's gracious, when we know he's just, when we know he's got a plan and he's sovereign no matter what it looks like, I, I can't help but go and make him known. I go, I live sin. Right? Yet, here, here's, what, here's what the reality is. The reality is that less than 5% of all Christians ever share the gospel with anyone. Realize that? Does that make sense? How, 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 
I mean, I want you to think about the gravity of this for a moment. Less than 5% of Christians ever share the gospel with anyone. Now, if we think about the gravity of that, we think about if we're Christians, then we are saying in being a Christian that we believe that I was destined for hell, right? I mean, I was separated from God by my sin. I was destined for hell, and I could do nothing about it because it's not earned. It's grace, right? And, 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 and so, so I could do nothing about it because I couldn't overcome it. I couldn't work, nothing but Jesus, by his grace, paid the price for my sin. I believed in him because God opened my eyes. When I understand it's all grace, and I was, I was hell-bound, and now I'm not. Man, I was miserable, and now I have the opportunity to have life. All that, and I don't tell anybody. That, that just that boggles my mind. That's why, uh, you know, that's why uh, Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller, famous agnostic, right, atheist that doesn't believe in God, that's why he made the comment that he has zero respect for a Christian who claims to be a Christian and doesn't share the gospel. He said, if you believe, you literally believe that I'm going to hell and you don't tell me, you must hate me. That's from an atheist. Yet five, less than 5% of Christians ever share the gospel. And man, there's more excuses than the ocean has fish, right? There's more excuses than the ocean has fish. But as a result, here's what I know. As a result, of, of Christians in America not sharing the gospel, what we have is that America has become the large, one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. Matter of fact, there's, there's countries that we've sent missionaries to for years that are now sending missionaries to America because we are seen as a lost country because we are. Oh, we're a Christian country. No, we're not a Christian country. We're not, not I mean, we were founded on biblical principles. But man, we, we've shifted uh, a long way from that, drifted a long way from that. And so we've got mi- people in other countries, thank the Lord, sending missionaries to America. But now I'm glad they, they look and they say send missionaries to America. But man, they, they, nobody should ever have to send a missionary to America because America's full of missionaries. There are churches this morning setting with people in those churches that believe in Jesus and every one of those are missionaries that should be sharing the gospel. And we want to know what's wrong in our world. And man, we want to, we want to stand up on our, on our soapboxes and we want to get on Facebook and, and, and argue you know, about this political thing or that political thing. And it's a spiritual issue. It's the gospel issue. That's the, that's the, that's the real deal. And we got missionaries sitting in churches all over America because every member is a missionary. If you're saved, you're saved to live sin. If you're redeemed, you're redeemed to represent. And here's what I believe. I believe that God is calling some of you to pack up, sell out your house, and go overseas somewhere. Get a Rosetta Stone, Duolingo, whatever. Begin learning another language and go. I believe God's calling some of you to do that. And we're gonna send you. We're gonna look at people in a moment that we have sent. Uh, We do that. We send at least uh, two units a year, to be quite honest. We send two units a year somewhere. Isn't that incredible what God's doing? God's calling some of you. Some of you don't even know it yet. Maybe God's using that to plant that in your head. God's calling you, and he's gonna call some of you to go. God's gonna call some of your kids. And when he does that, you know, you're sitting, and that's what gets real as a parent. When he calls your kid, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I'm calling my kid to go. Hold on. You know, you need to celebrate that because God's gonna call some of your kids. But 99% of you, he's calling to stay right here. He's calling to stay right here. As a matter of fact, in, in the book of Luke, what happens is in Jesus, he, he, he calls in Luke 8, 
he heals a guy who was possessed by a demon, and Jesus cast out this demon, and he heals this guy, and this guy was so changed by Jesus that he wanted to follow Jesus wherever Jesus went. He wanted to join his mission team. He wanted to sell out, get the Rosetta Stone. He wanted to learn everything from Jesus and go where Jesus went and be a part of his vocational mission team. Let me go with you, Jesus. I'll go wherever you go. And Jesus tells him this in Luke 8, 39. He said, he said this. When he said, I wanna go with you, he said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for you see, that's, that's 99% of you right there. Yes, he's gonna call some of you to go, and I'm thankful that he does because he said in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to all creation, to all peoples, to all nations. And so we need to go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth doesn't mean, man, let's take care of Smyrna, Murfreesboro, Laverne, Middle, Middle Tennessee first, then Tennessee, then let's move out to the United States, then let's go overseas. No, 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 it means simultaneously we're in, we're in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth simultaneously sharing the gospel. It's what we think about. It's, it's what we give our money to, right? It's what we give our time to. It, it, it was last week we talked about giving. That's what it's about. We, we do it simultaneously. God's calling some of you to go. But 99% of you, he's calling to go home and tell everybody you know in your home, in your neighborhood, in your job, in your school, and your hobbies what God has done for you. That's what he's calling you to do, 99% of you, right? I mean, a few of you are vocational missionaries, but all of you who know Jesus are missionaries called to live sent in this world, called to live sent in this world. There's an old African proverb that says this, in the desert, there's only one crime worse than murder, and that's knowing where the water is and telling no one. We know the living water. We know the living water, and we know where it is. It's Jesus. You know, pastors usually evaluate their churches with each other based on the size of the church. You know, you go to a conference, and this is the typical conference speech. Man, you're eating lunch with somebody, and maybe you know them, and, you know, and, 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 and everything that they know, but you're eating lunch with somebody, you're eating breakfast with somebody, you're sitting with somebody, and eventually, here's what it's going to be. So, so how large is your church? How many are you running? What's your attendance? In other words, they're evaluating you based off of the size of your church. You know, that's sort of, you, you know that from, from, from any business, and the same is true for pastors and churches. Don't, don't anybody kid you. Know. How big is your church? And, and, and here's what I want you to understand. Man, you can say 100 or you can say 5,000, and here's the deal. That does not mean success in and of itself. Man, there are churches that are running 100 today that are much more successful than churches running 5,000. I promise you, because all 5,000 can mean is that you can get a crowd, right? I mean, it can mean you can get a crowd. Now, there are 5,000 churches, people churches run 5,000 that are very successful. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying the number doesn't mean successful. The number of people coming doesn't mean the church is faithful and successful. Faithfulness is success. You ask me one definition for faithfulness in my life, and I tell my kids, here's your definition for success. It's easy. It's one word, faithfulness. That's your definition for success. Faithfulness, faithfulness to God's word, faithfulness to your family, faithfulness to your spouse, faithful. You be faithful and see what God does. Well, a church, the size, the number of people it's coming doesn't mean success. But let me tell you what does mean success. 
the number of people it's got going. You see, we need to flip that. We need to flip that. It's not the number of people that comes to the church. It's the number of people that goes, the, goes out of the church and shares the gospel. That's success. The number of people that goes. You know what? People going into their homes. And, and listen, it's not up to you to, to, to save anybody, right? That's why you go. And, 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 and I want to challenge you to go. And this church is successful. If, if, if this church is to be successful and faithful, it means that there's going to be people going. Yeah, going across the ocean, but going across the street going across the cubicle, going across the office, going across the hallway. Are you going? It's your job. It's not for a few. It's for all believers. You're called to go, so are you going? Now, there are, as I said, there are more excuses than fish in the ocean as to why people don't go. Well, I, I, I don't have the gift of evangelism, Pat. Well, great. I'm glad you recognize that because there is no biblical gift of evangelism. Okay? There's not. I mean, there's the gift of the evangelist. I don't have that gift. I don't have that gift because an evangelist is a guy, you know, I can bring in people and there are people that have this gift and I love to bring them in. Man, they can stand up and they can get up here and tell you a story and start reading a phone book and say, let's pray and people just start coming forward getting saved. I, I just like, what in the world? How did he, I'm, man, I preach, I preach every Sunday and people sit there and look at me. He gets up and says, hey, how y'all doing? And people come up, I need to get saved. Why is that? You've seen that. It's the gift of evangel the evangelist. The Holy Spirit is anointing him with that, right? That's the gift of the evangelist. There's no gift of evangelism. God doesn't play games. God told every Christian to go and make disciples. He wouldn't have said, I'm going to tell every Christian to do it, but I'm just going to give a few of them the gift. I'm going to sit back and watch them squirm. That's not what God does. I don't know what to say, Pat. I don't know what to say. Well, just Jesus. Jesus? Can you say that? Jesus? learn. I mean, we got rooted, get involved in rooted, right? I mean, get involved in rooted. Uh, uh, we go online on our sending page, lifepointchurch.org or lifept.org, and then uh, uh, go to our sending section, and there's a thing on how to share the gospel. We got different ways for you to learn, but learn, but just say, Jesus, it's not up to you. You can't mess it up. That's the beautiful thing. You think I don't know what to say. Well, saying nothing's the wrong thing, okay? Am I going to mess it up? If you say nothing, you're messing it up. You can't mess it up. You can't save anybody. You're not that good right? You, you, and, and you can't keep anybody out of heaven. You're not that bad. It's not on you. It's on the Holy Spirit, Jesus, until you learn. And, and, God, and the Holy Spirit directs you, right? So, so, so uh, you know, uh, share the gospel. Are you going? Are you going? You know, I, you, received, you received this when you came in, and man, it's got, uh, uh, if you got that, look at it. it, it it's got, here's, how, how, do I, how do I go? Well, you go by giving. We talked about that last week. That's how we send our missionaries. That's how we share the gospel. You go by serving. Uh, you, you know, you go by gathering. All these things that we're talking about, you're going, and you go by going and sharing the gospel. So here's some ways that you can go on mission trips, uh, on sending trips. You can go to Brazil. You can go to Bangkok. You can go to Brussels. You can go to Clarkston, Georgia. Uh, you know, uh, all those places that we've got international trips. We're vested in these areas. We're invested there, and so you can go to these if you want to go to these. But if you flip over on the back, here's what I want you to see, man. You might not know this, and you might not know how much we do here, but 615, man, local, I mean, we're all over the place, okay? It's not just you hear us talk about Brussels and Bangkok, but we're in the 615 too, okay? We're right here, okay? And let me show you how cross-cultural engagement. First off, first friends, 
Let me tell you a little bit about what that is. First Friends is when international students from all over the world come to MTSU and they know no one. Man, you can be a first friend. You can, you can be a person they connect with. You can have them over for dinner. Man, you might meet with them, take them shopping. You just get to know them and that gives you an opportunity to share the gospel because 99% of them don't know the gospel. So that's a first friend. That's how you influence the world from the 615 by never leaving, right? And then you've got Legacy Mission Village. It, it, it deals with immigrants. It deals with the refugees and how we help them plug in. Uh, International Community Church. I don't know if you know, but we, we started a church over in Weary. It's a language church. It's for they, they preach in like four or five different languages every week, and it's all interpreted into four or five different languages, and we work in that church. Uh, you, you can be a part of that church. You got ESL ministry. Over 100 people every week come English as second language. They don't know English, and they're here, and they, they, got, they got to get jobs, man, and they got to get along. They got to understand, and they got to bank, and they got to go to the grocery store. They got to learn English. We help them, and you can come, and you can help them, and, and, and you, help, you share the gospel. Man, community service, recovery and crisis uh, mentoring. We are involved in, in addiction recovery. Man, we, we're, we know that addiction is an incredibly I mean, devastating disease. It is a symptom. It's not the problem. Jesus is the answer because sin is the problem, but addictions come out of that. Whether it's addicted to a substance, whether it's addicted to pornography, whether it's addicted to a lot of things, and we are partnered with S2L, Spring to Life, right? Ken told you about their concert. They're having, man, get a ticket. You can come be a part of that. You can serve in that ministry. You know somebody that's addicted, man, let us know. We'll help you get them involved in that, all right? But we serve addiction, re- recovery, Operation Saving a Life, abortions. Do you want to you help fight that even though Roe's been overturned? We still are fighting it. You, wanna, uh, you, can, you can do that. Homeless, poverty. We, we serve the homeless in multiple ways. Uh, you know, from the fall through the spring, we got room in the inn at church where we bring in homeless every Friday night. They sleep in our church, man. We cut their hair. Uh, man, you, people bring them food. People are with them. Uh, we serve them in that way, give them a warm place to sleep, a shower, underwear if they need underwear, socks, clothes, whatever. We do that. You can go to the Journey Home. Journey Home does meals and just basic necessities for homeless people. We serve the homeless every week, right? I mean, you can look, that, you can look just... Look down through foster care. We want to make a dent in a foster care program. And so, man, you can either foster or you can help come around those who do and help them. Man, we serve this area so much. And I don't know if you know that or not. Go to our sending page. You can see, and you say, man, I need to get involved in some of these ministries. So this is how you, you go. And this is, I want you to understand, we do all that because you give that I talked about last week. Man, we're, we're, we're serving the 615. Don't think we're neglecting it, thinking about Brussels and banking. We're not. The light that shines the brightest at home is going to shine the farthest. So we are focused right here, and God's bringing the nations to us. So some of you are going to go overseas, but 99% of you is going to stay right here. Will you go? As a matter of fact, I, I, want, to, I want to throw up the ones who, who is on, on, on the field right now. Uh, these are our vocational missionaries. They do it for a vocation. They live in Bangkok. They live in Europe. Uh, when you see Europe, Brussels is Europe, but when you see Europe, they live in places that we can't say uh, on, on, online or show online, but they live in Europe. They live in Asia. Or they live in Brussels. These are people out of our church that God has called and sent. Look at that. Now, this is amazing. These are your people that come out of the pew where you are, and one day, some of your pictures are gonna be up on this wall, right? These are people that's out of this church that God's called and said, I'm going. 
And so we need to pray for those people. Man, you need to put these people on your refrigerators. You need to, uh, cards on the refrigerators. We have them out there. You, you need to talk to your kids about them. You need to say, hey, kids, let's pray for our missionaries, our vocational missionaries. Start instilling that into your kids, right? Matter of fact, let's pray for them right now. Can we? I mean, just, man, just bow your head where you are and start praying for our sent ones that are vocationally right now. We, uh, pray for them, would you? Father, we love you and we thank you that you call and people answer. God, the people that are on the screen right now, Lord, Lord, uh, Whit and Brittany, Common, Ty and Angie, Mitzifon, Alyssa, Ronnie, the Haynes, the Ravens, the Van Rankins, the Laws, Zach Connell, God, these you called out to go. Thank you that they said yes. I pray that they're God, I pray that their example inspires so many. Continue to call. I pray that people would continue to say yes. I pray that you would bless their needs financially, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. God, please meet their needs. Help them to see you do great things. Encourage them. Give them success, God. We love you and we thank you for those who have gone. And we pray for them today. In Jesus' name. That's our vocational missionaries. I think God's calling some of you, and some, some of you, one day, your picture will be up on that screen. Right now, I just want you to take a look around, around the room, because when you look around the room, you know, look somebody in the eye right now. Just look, look, just look to your right or left. You don't have to look all over the room. You, you know what you're looking at? Their picture's not on the wall, but you're looking at a sent one, if they're saved. If they're a saved one, they're a sent one. If they're a saved one, they're a sent one. That's a missionary. You're sent, Christian. If you're saved, you're sent. If you're redeemed, you're redeemed to represent, to go out into that world and share the gospel. Right now, I just want to pray for you. Let me pray for you if I can. Father, I pray for every person that's sitting in the seats in this auditorium, for every person that's watching online to understand that they are saved to be sent. God, I, today, I just pray that they would, their hearts would begin to understand that knowing God means making God known that we stop and know so that we can go and make known. God, I pray that, that that would begin to take root in our heart, that it would begin to shape our soul, that our thoughts and our mind would be on living sent with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would begin to process and see everything we do, that we would begin to think about our work as a mission field, our school as a mission field, our home, our neighborhood, God, our, our, our hobbies, golf, that we would begin to think about everything we do as a context, a domain to go and share the gospel. I pray, God, that you would begin to, to let people just say Jesus. Let, let them overcome their fear. God, help them to realize, God, as they know you, that they become passionate about your glory. And Lord, when God's people are passionate about God's glory, they will share God's gospel. And I pray that, Lord, we would be gospel-sharing people, that we would send people. God, that people would live sin to help people find life. God, bless the people in this room. Bless the people that are watching. Help us to honor you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you don't know Jesus, you're watching online, text the word Jesus to the number on the screen. We'll be glad to help you know how. If you're in the room, you can do that or you can come and talk to us. But today, I hope as we finish this series that you help people find life and live sin by going and sharing the gospel. There's no excuse uh, because if you're saved, you're saved to be sent. If you're redeemed, you're redeemed to represent. Every member's a missionary, so let's go and share the gospel and make disciples. Let's stand right now, and as Travis leads, you respond how God leads you to respond.